Welcome to The Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by your co-host, Rosemary Orchard. How are you today, Rosemary? Oh, I'm excited, David. I mean, I'm always excited to record Automators, to be fair, but we have a guest on today. And, you know, we all love this guest. Uh, some of you know her, some of you don't know her. So uh, welcome to the show, Alison Sheridan. Hi, guys. Really fun to catch up with you. It's been a while. Yeah, Allison's one of my favorite nerds. We actually did a buddy trip to Macworld, like... I don't know how long ago that was. Was it like 12 years ago? 157 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time, but that was fun. I remember and you so, telling me about this crazy new show you were thinking about starting. Yeah, Mac Power Users, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Everybody's telling me, don't make another podcast. There's too many. That's what I told good. you. I said, it's full. There's enough. There's no space. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Allison um, is uh, is an automator, a nerd, does a lot of cool stuff. Um, uh the uh, you've got uh, a couple different podcasts, you know. Uh, Podfeed is the is the main feed, but you also do the stuff with Bart Bouchard. But I guess that that's in the main feed, right? Well, <clears throat> the website is called Podfeed.com, and my identity is Podfeed. But the main show is called the Nocilla Cast, yeah. and that's a standalone show that I do um, mostly solo. But every other week, Bart Bouchard is on to talk about security. But it's yeah. a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. And then the other shows I have is uh, Programming by Stealth with Bart, and we'll get a little bit yeah. into that. And uh, But we also did a series called Taming the Terminal, which is a, a real tight 41-episode series to teach you how to use the terminal. And then I have uh, Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, which is where I talk to people in tech that I think are interesting. Yeah. the um, And Allison and I attended Sal Segoyan's AppleScript uh, uh, Automation Summit several years ago i mean you, you are you've had your toes in automation for a long time and uh i always like hearing what you have to say because allison is like me in the sense that you're not a programmer by trade but you are increasingly becoming a programmer i i know that you're doing a lot of, of programming stuff but but you know you, you're finding ways to create automations without necessarily you know having the formal training yeah i've i've um I'm an engineer by trade, and in my master's degree, I took Fortran 4 with Watt 5, which has come in on punch cards, and that's come in super handy throughout my <laughs> yeah, throughout yeah. my uh, my life. Um, but yeah, yeah. a few years ago, uh, I told Bart right after I retired that I wanted to learn to program, and he said, "Hey, let's do it as a as a um, a podcast." And but it's an audio podcast, which sounds like it shouldn't work. But he writes these super detailed tutorial show notes, so you can read the show notes, you can listen to him, you listen to me in the front row, row going, "I don't understand." Can you back up and explain that again? And yeah. uh, we've been going over four years and and worked our way through uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. We're doing some shell scripting right now. Uh, we've learned how to uh, wrap our apps up for uh, deployment. We learned all about Git. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And Allison does excellent show notes. And if you listen to the automators, I think that program with Bart in particular would be a great entry point for you. And you can yeah. drive it around in this, the car. The series on Git is, it, what he does is these little sub-series. So if yeah. you just want to learn Git, you can start right in that piece. You don't have to start at the beginning with HTML in order to get the Git mm -hmm. part. Yeah. So uh, our learning about version control was, was huge. And, and now I'm, like, I'm using version control on my keyboard Maestro macros. 
which is yeah. something I always wanted. So I've got that in Git. And uh, nice. it's it's just a real helpful thing to know. Wow, about. Allison, you've gone down the rabbit hole. If you're using version <laughs> control in your keyboard maestro macros, that that is my kind of nerd right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like th- this is where, you know, we know we're going to have fun on this episode, folks. We, we always do. Um, but, you know, and in particular, somebody mentions, yeah, so I'm putting my automations in Git and I'm just like, hi. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, We have our tribe, right? Yes, exactly. And uh, for those of you going, wait, what? Why would I do this? Well, we'll we'll have to get to that, won't we? And then Allison sent me a note right before we started recording. She's like, "Hey, is it okay if I derail the beginning of the conversation?" And I'm like, "That is so on brand, Allison Sheridan." (laughs) So just what 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 are you going to derail me on? Let's hear it. This is this is the audience that will most appreciate this. So. A long time ago, I was talking to Rosemary and I was explaining that I have a problem adding the number one to my show, to my my episode number. So if I've done episode 746, I am yeah. incapable of saying that the next one is 747. I would, yeah. I would say like one out of 10 times I get the number wrong. And that seemed yeah. really, really stupid. But what are you going to do? So Rosemary wrote this elaborate script and I, I don't even know where it lives or how she did it, but I can tell, ask Siri What's the next chit chat across the pond? What's the next programming by stealth? What's, you know, I can ask it and, and it's automated and it's great. And I, and I've always felt really stupid that she had to write this for me, but it's a perfect solution. So get this, I'm on, um, clockwise and that story comes up and Micah starts laughing hysterically because he had, I wait, I forget who wrote it for who, but it was uh, Jason Snell or him. I forget one of them couldn't add by the number one either. And the other one wrote the exact same script for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I did for for you, Allison, because you had a number of different shows in there is I actually got the RSS feeds for each show and got the latest episode of the show that was published um, for you. So, you know, if you've got a couple of episodes that you've like pre-recorded and not released, then it, it won't work perfectly for that. But it's using... Um, uh, the RSS for that. I do something Was it in very shortcuts. Yeah, it's all in shortcuts. Okay. Um, but what I do for automators, because I also can't add by one, um, is uh, I have a keyboard a maestro. Thing. Yeah, I, I have a keyboard maestro macro which pops up when I start recording. Um, and or actually, when I say that I'm about to start recording automators, it'll pop up and it automatically adds one to to the episode number, so I can just click OK and it oh, stores that, that macro. It stores that, and then it also like tidies the podcast ep- the recordings into the folder like t- with that episode number when i'm done so yeah excellent there's excellent. a lot of ways to, to kill that 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 uh problem but but why you know. can't we add by one that's the real question like it shouldn't be that hard right uh, I, yeah but uh, i also typed 22 today because we're recording episode 22 of automators you know we've lost 100 oh, episodes my, mine somewhere. is 2020 and then the number so this is 2023 or sorry 2020 23 is what I keep saying. So yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Okay, just to be clear, we're in the year 2023, not 2020, right? What are you talking about? I mean, the 23. It, but you say all six numbers because it's yeah. 2020 and then it's 23. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. But what's 2020? Well, we're in the 2020s now. I think we actually recorded that episode uh, 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 of Chit Chat Across the Pond in 2020. I think that might oh, okay. be what's... I thought you were talking about currently. I'm like, Allison, you do know it's 2023, right? <laughs> uh, anyway. Yes. All right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've successfully derailed the show, which is good because, right. you know, you've only given Didn't us two pages long. of show notes. Uh, three pages, I apologize. <laughs> um, so, you have a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, well, we kind of just wanted to, 
you know, have some content. And the good news is we're, we're going to get you back for like 16 episodes to, to go through this because we're going yeah, to get sidetracked. Allison Sheridan series. <laughs> That's yeah. fine with Part me. One. Um, but yeah. So I was wondering, Allison, do you want to tell us how you got started with automation things? Because, you know, we've had a little bit of a behind the scenes with the podcasting. And, and you know, you mentioning when you retired, you wanted to start learning all this stuff. But how did you get into automating specifically? Well, you know, early on, I'd hear people talk about automating like with Apple Script, and I wanted to do it because all the cool kids were doing it. But I actually had trouble thinking of things to automate. I would look at what I was doing, and I and I just couldn't see it. Eventually, I tried uh, Automator, and I thought, okay, that's going to be, I, I should be able to crack the code on this. I should be able to do drag and drop. And, and I could get partway through, but no matter what I did, I needed to use Apple Script. And I, I had a lot of trouble with that, and I, I wouldn't call it a success, but I, I did finally create one automation that I really like. Uh, it, it's in Automator, and it allows me to copy the URL and title of my blog posts in order to use it in, in social media. So I hit a keystroke, open up Twitter or Mastodon now, and I paste it in, and that's a link to my show that it's just been published. And I know you can do automated posting, but I don't like that. I like to add a little bit of context to it. So... That was my first success, and that was probably where I dipped the toe in. But it's one of those things I think snowballs. Like once you realize, you go, oh, well, what about this thing that I do by hand? What about that thing I do by hand? What if I could make that go faster, more efficient, and less error prone? And that was kind of the the launching pad for it. Yeah, it is really like learning the tool set and then finding, you find uses for it once you do that. And you need that itch to scratch. And yeah. it's sometimes hard to find the first one. At least I found it was. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Once once you realize how to solve a problem with one problem with automation, um, it can be become a little bit like the hammer, uh, where you know you just use automation to solve every problem. Uh, guilty, hi, that's me. Um, but also, um, you know, it, it is one of those things where you 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 realize that you have a tool that you can use in a number of different ways. And, you know, all of those skills that you, you've you learned building that tool, even if you then end up finding something else that solves the problem in a different way for you, um, you know, you've still learned the skills and you can still reapply them elsewhere. You guys asked me what my favorite automation tools were, and um, I'm going to put them in uh, in order. My number one is still Hazel. And uh, the primary use I use for that is to keep my Mac tidy and not suck up disk space. And this is something I've been doing for a really long time now. But um, when I create the each week's podcast or sets of podcasts, there's an enormous amount of data that gets created. Even though they're only audio podcasts, there's three or four versions of uh, uncompressed files and things. And a lot of the uh, the images that I use in the blog posts and, and uh, little scripts and things. So uh, I wrote an automation that basically says when these files are two weeks old, just move them over to my Synology and delete them off my internal drive. And that seems really simple, but it really solves a big problem because otherwise you spend a lot of time worrying about making sure these things are, you know, wait, can I delete this? I don't know if I have it somewhere else. And then um, it, it that makes it a big problem. And so I want to give a big shout out to Paul Kim of, of Hazel. He His tech support is phenomenal. He never seems to get weary of my repeated questions, even though when I can tell, I bet I already asked him this. He is fantastic. Really, really great support from Paul. Yeah, and a lot of times when you ask them questions several times, it shows up as a feature in the next version <laughs> of the application. So, you know, uh, our favorite kind of developer is the, you know, small team. And Paul is a one-man shop. He makes a living off that app. 
And he does nothing all day but just continue to make it awesome. And, uh, and don't I, you, I, it's, it's true. One man shops or, or three person shops. I like those better than big corporations for sure. Because yeah. you can get their attention, right? You can get mm-hmm. a little bit of help. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you go and post in the NoodleSoft forums, NoodleSoft being, um, you know, the 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 business officially, uh, the one man shop behind Hazel, then you're very likely to get a reply from Paul. And there are some really lovely community members in there that help you out as well. It is amazing how often I go into the Hazel forums trying to solve one problem. I come out with 17 solutions and then I realize I have to go back and post my original question because I I found all of the solutions to problems I didn't realize I had. And then, whoops, <laughs> uh, yeah, I need That's to remember advice. to solve my original problem. But uh, yeah, the, the forums are honestly really good. Like it's, It doesn't necessarily seem like it on the surface, but like search for a word of a problem that you're trying to solve with Hazel and... Um, Enjoy the rabbit hole. That that's how I'm going to phrase that. You're going to be Alice in Wonderland, but it's going to be great. Uh, and uh, there, you know, you can always close the tab if you do need to escape uh, with some sanity left intact. Rose, what's your favorite Hazel um, rule? Like, do you have like one that just makes you giggle every time you run it? Uh, I mean, it doesn't make me giggle, but it does give me a certain amount of satisfaction. Uh, whenever I download my payslips, um, it automatically like renames them and moves them into iCloud. Um, and then on my personal machine, they get sucked up into DevonThink. Um, and honestly, like the fact that all of like my work documents, like that are related to things like that, that just happens. And that happens on like one machine. And then, you know, they they just magically appear on another one afterwards. That is just so satisfying. Um, it, it's genuinely fabulous. Uh, I really need to to play with Hazel more because I always feel like I'm just doing the most mundane, basic things with it. But at the same time, that's actually going into the file to find like the date and everything in the file because the the file names are just garbage. Strings. I think it's okay so. that she does mundane things for us, though, right? Because yeah, right. she's just sweeping up behind us, cleaning things up that we leave laying around. And and that's that's kind of the beauty of it, I think. Exactly. Like one of my favorites is what I call the burn bag. And it's a folder called the burn bag. And when I want to share something with somebody, it's a Dropbox folder. I put it in the burn bag and I send them the Dropbox link. And two weeks later, Hazel deletes it. And you know, I don't, it's like something cause you, you, you share links sometimes with these big files and you forget about it mm-hmm. and, and there, you know, you just don't want them. And like when I was a lawyer, some of it had like client data I had to share with an expert witness or whatnot. Same thing. I don't want the files hanging around. So mm-hmm. you put them in there and it's a simple rule after two weeks, if it's been there two weeks, delete it. And, you know, you know. I have, I have something really similar. I call it delete me. And um, yeah. it's not just for that. It definitely works for that. I have a delete me on Dropbox for things like just like what you talked about. But I have one locally, too. And Hazel deletes everything after two weeks. That appears to be the length of time that we we care about things. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the great things about the delete me folder, the way I use it is I'm telling future me that it's OK to delete. So let's say yeah. I export an adorable picture of my grandson Forbes and I, I drop it into delete me because I'm just going to put it somewhere. I'm going to post it somewhere. I yeah. need to know that I have another copy of that adorable photo. Otherwise, I'm going to keep it. If you let it sit on your desktop, that'll be on your mm-hmm. desktop for the rest of your life because you're afraid you can't you can't delete it, yeah. or you import it back into photos and you, now it goes, hey, you've already got this photo. But if you put yeah. it, if you put things that delete me that at this moment you know it's okay to delete, it's it's a perfect solution. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually uh, use Hazel. Uh, so anything that is on my desktop for more than an hour gets moved to the downloads folder. Um, because the problem with the desktop is it, like it gets hidden behind the applications. I can't actually see the files, so therefore they don't exist anymore. 
Um, so they get moved to the downloads folder, and I think it's in, been in the downloads folder for more than 10 days. Bye-bye. Um, but I, I do heavily automate my downloads folder, to be fair. so If you stage manager, it, it, your desktop disappears too. So that's another way that it's invisible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not gotten into stage manager. Allison, do you use stage manager? I love it. Yeah, on the Mac. Um, I don't find it super useful on the iPad, but on the Mac, it's it's great for me because I have a habit of opening 8,000 windows and 8,000 applications, and I get myself a little bit crazy, and then I just have to quit everything and start over, but pretty soon it grows. And by using Stage Manager, I've got these piles that I can go, oh, I need a, I need a finder window. Let me pull it out of the pile into this group, and then I can play around in that. And it works in a way that that uh, space has just never never clicked for me. Fair enough. Yeah, I found it's the opposite way around for me. It works brilliantly on the iPad and does not work for me at all on the Mac, possibly because I so heavily use Moom um, to set up my spaces with Bunch. So Bunch will like close apps, open apps, hide apps and stuff for me and then use Moom to put everything in like the right place. But I, I guess because of the way that I, I do things and I, I'd already grown accustomed to doing that, I tried using Stage Manager it was a very short-lived five minutes on my work machine before I was like, I'm not going to be at all productive today if I'm trying to fight stage managers to do my job. And I've tried it multiple times on my personal machines and just haven't got anywhere with it I think for the yet. super organized, it's, it's like a nightmare. It's your worst case scenario. For people who are messy, it's fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm organized. I'd say I'm, I'm more in the messy category, but at the same time, like, I, I already know, like, what, applications I want and where I want them to be because I know that if I look right then I'm going to see the zoom window if I look left I'm going to see the show notes and things like that and so that's organized not messy sorry no, that's 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 moon that's moon popping up every couple no, 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 of, but, like but every you, so often you've... and just doing it again for me because otherwise I will lose all of my windows <laughs> but you you force yourself to be organized against your will or against your your nature I should say I yeah. I can't keep it organized. I've done that. I've set up movement and say, okay, here's where everything goes. And then within 15 seconds, I want that window in the middle. I want everything I'm working on to always be in the middle. And if you have it all organized all over the place, you can't. Yeah. I, and, that, and that is perfect for stage manager for the way you describe yeah. your work, Allison. I Like Rose, I have, I call them setups. Like before we start recording today, I said, do automator setup. And it set up all the automators tabs and the recording apps. And it laid out the windows exactly. And if you have stage manager running, the whole system just barfs all over your screen. It doesn't know what to do. It, it's a huge problem uh, if you have pre-canned like setups. And mm-hmm. so I, I tried it. I tried to find alternative ways to do setups with stage manager, and ultimately I turned it off. So, you know, I'm like Rose in that regard. But but I, I think like for my wife, who's not someone who's going to program individual setups on her computer stage manager handles a big problem, you know, it makes it much easier to see this group versus that group. And, uh, I don't think it's done yet, but I, I, I think it's progress. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I think it's nice that there's just ways for different people. Bart is a hardcore spaces user found, uh, stage manager to be a nightmare. I discovered the other day I was testing it. You can actually do both. Yeah. You can have individual spaces, with individual stage manager groups. So like if yeah. you have a communication space, you can have a group with your social media and a group with your email or whatever, and you can switch between them. Yeah. And I love the idea of that. I wish spaces itself had more integration with everything else because, you know, uh, stage manager is, is starting to to get there with things like shortcut support, but spaces is really difficult. But I have to say, like, if I am in the office for work, 
and I take my my laptop with me because you know I have to kind of do my job while I'm sitting in an office. Um, but what I'll do is because I've only got like a 14 inch or 16 inch screen instead of my usual 32 inch ultra wide monitor plus extra monitor, um, then I will have you know the the main program that I'm using full screen um, in a space so that I can see everything. And then I can just swipe backwards and forwards with the multiple finger gestures. And that works incredibly well for me. Um, but I can also see why that wouldn't work well for some people because they, you know, they're they're used to, you know, using the trackpad. And especially the maximized windows on Mac OS can be quite tricky, I think, for some people because you just kind of lose everything. My dad accidentally uh, maximized Photoshop the other day. And I had a frantic tech support call going, wait, oh, the Mac is gone. Where is the Mac? Um, and eventually, after getting a photo of the screen, I was like, okay, move your mouse right into the top left corner and then click on the green button and then you'll have your Mac back. And he was quite pleased when Mac OS re- reappeared, but uh, it's just one of those things where it was confusing for him. And uh, I suspect if he tried it, he would really like spaces. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Issue. Get started with Issue today for free or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50% off, just go to issue.com slash podcast, I-S-S-U-U. If you post content on your website, share to Instagram, and send it to your clients, but then find posting your content to your channels includes reformatting, resizing, redownloading, and re-uploading, you need Issue, because then you can create once and share everywhere. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content. From marketing materials and magazines to catalogs and portfolios and so much more, there's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy-to-view way on every device. Make it once and distribute it everywhere, without formatting. Your content is automatically optimized for engagement and ready to share, which saves you so much time. Issue also works seamlessly with the tools you already use and love, like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. I've used Issue, and it's excellent. The interface is really easy to use. You can upload your assets and have them formatted for wherever you want to distribute them. I recommend this to anybody who wants to make things look better and do it faster. Content on Issue can be published as public or private. Private only allows users with a shared link to view it, and public content will be available for your audience, and it'll be available for others to discover on the Issue platform. And this is cool. The platform also provides statistics on how your content is being consumed, so you can learn more about your audience with data on impressions, clicks on the content, duration spent reading, pages viewed, and more. Issue helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. Get started with Issue today for free, or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50% off when you go to Issue dot com slash podcast and use the promo code automators that's issuu dot com slash podcast and use promo code automators at checkout for your free starter account or 50 percent off an annual premium account one more time issue.com slash podcast with the promo code automators and our thanks to issue for their support of the automators and all of relay fm so, Allison, what are some of your other favorite automation tools? Well, I got to give a shout out to my my second favorite, which is other people. As I mentioned, yeah. uh, having Rosemary do an automation for me, um, I, I, shortcuts don't work for me. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, uh, Rosemary, but they don't work. They don't ever work. Nothing I ever try. I have one that emails me whatever I'm looking at, and that one works, and that's about it. 
and the one you wrote for me. That one works at least 75% of the time. But everything else I write, I run into a wall, just like I used to with Automator, where I couldn't get it to work. So uh, having someone else do it for me, that's a perfect solution. And I got to give a shout out to Mike Price. I use a a, a digital audio workstation called Hindenburg, and it's not a Mac first application. And so they don't keep focus on on text fields like they should. And so it's really tedious to post in blog titles and URLs. So Mike Price wrote an automation for me in uh, Keyboard Maestro. Now, the best part about the story is he didn't know how to use Keyboard Maestro when I asked him to help me. He went out, found the tool, bought it, learned it, and then wrote the automation for me. So that's way better than me doing it, right? I, <laughs> yeah, that, I guess. Delegation. solution. Yeah, delegation. <laughs> Definitely. But that, that puts Keyboard Maestro in my in my next favorite, and, and I really like it, and I've gotten it to do some great things for me, but it's so freaking fragile. It just seems to, like... I'll get it to do something. And then the next week it won't do it. And I go in and I fiddle and I poke a little couple of things and then it'll work for a little while and then it won't work. And it, it, especially if you have to tell it, look for this graphic, you know, if, yeah. if a button isn't, isn't accessible and you have to say, okay, look for the thing that looks like this, it'll work like eight times in a row. And the ninth time it won't work and it will stop working indefinitely. And you can take the screenshot again and try to do it. Um, sometimes it's those pesky, uh, you know, wait things you have to put in, tell it to wait for five seconds or whatever, half a second. Uh, but sometimes those stop working. And this automation that Mike wrote for me, it has now stopped working and we haven't been able to figure out why yet. And so I, I I love it, but I also can't stand it. It makes me crazy when it stops working. So yeah, I I really want to love Keyboard Maestro, but I'm I'm not in love. I'm in really good like with it. Yeah. I have to say one of the tricks that I found with um, Keyboard Maestro for doing things like where you would need to click at an image, there is often somewhere in that application a hidden menu command. And Keyboard Maestro has the ability to say like click like click this menu command. And you can select the application and then like actually go through the menus in Keyboard Maestro. And that I find works really, really well for me, but it doesn't necessarily work for everything else. That one's fragile too. So one of my favorite automations was, um, uh, I like to use uh, a tool called the Noun Project to create, uh, um, to get icons. And I have a subscription to it. It's great. You can just type in, I want a house. And I use that house in a graphic for my featured image for my blog post. Uh, but somebody pointed out that they, the ones I was posting had no uh, no alpha channel. And if you use dark mode, that looks terrible because it's going to be a black outline sitting on dark gray. So I said, okay, well, I need to remove the, or put the alpha channel back in on the way I'm, I'm, I'm creating this. So rather than just open it in preview and click, uh, you know, put the alpha channel back, I spent like 16 hours trying to automate it and wrote a keyboard maestro macro to do it. But I tell you, Rosemary, it would work and then not work and then work and then not work using exactly what you talked about. I found the hidden menu that would check that little box and it would work. And then sometimes it just wouldn't. And I gave up on it. It was, it was really frustrating. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, there, sometimes I found, um, especially click at image, um, you know, where, um, you know, windows move around and so on. Um, and the like application developers tweak something ever so slightly. Um, and mm. then that, that image, you have to like crop it by one pixel all the way around or something. <laughs> it's like, like, stop doing this to me. Don't, don't torture me. <laughs> so some experience for me on that, find a image button. Like I use it on Grammarly cause I use the Grammarly website and there's no way to open a new document except click an image. 
And I've had the same image and I've been using it like three years and it works every time, no problems. But then I was using it just recently because Apple, for whatever reason, does not let you automate tab groups on the Mac with shortcuts. Mm. You know, they added tab groups, but there's no command in shortcuts to say, open up the automator's recording tab group. It just, I don't know how that one got through, but I'm assuming it's going to get added at some point. And um, uh, so what I do now is I say, open Safari and look for the, and I usually keep the sidebar in Safari open, just look for the tab group sidebar. And, but then it didn't work for me. I'm like, well, what's going on? And I looked at it, what had happened because that the tab group had already been highlighted. It had a gray background. It wasn't the same image, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like little things like that. So then you build in an automation say, well, look, if it's gray, then you don't need to, to push it. But you know, it's like, you are getting very fiddly at that point. And, and honestly, the find an image and click it thing is just fiddly by nature. Hack. Because yeah. it, it is a total hack, but it's, there's no other way to do something like that. That shortcut I use for Grammarly, there's literally no other way to do it. Um, unless they have yeah. an API, which I'm not aware of. So there is another way with Grammarly. Um, but what that involves is basically being a little bit of a web developer or at least uh, nerdy enough to like inspect the web page and then find yeah. out like which either unique identifier is behind that button or like a, a special like path to get to that button so that then you can click at it with JavaScript. Um, and that's something that I can do because my day job is being a web developer. Uh, it's not something that I would necessarily expect somebody who doesn't spend all day messing around with websites and breaking them to necessarily want yeah. to do, let alone know where to start with. Um, you know, there are plenty of guides online. If I can find one, I'll, I'll put put it in the show notes. Um, but th- that's still going to be fragile because uh, I had this recently at work. Uh, DevOps decided that they were going to update uh, the website. It looks exactly the same as it did before. There are no more unique identifiers. It's like, oh, okay, so now my script is broken to give me like the, the, the name of the branch that I'm supposed to be working on. Thanks. Love it. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I, I fixed it. It's fine. It works again. But it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, really? Like, why are you doing this to me? You don't need to be doing this to me. Well, now, I do want to give a, a shout out back to Keyboard Maestro, though, to say what I do love about it is the automations that matter to me the most are the ones where, um, first of all, it's just an annoying task to do, something I don't enjoy doing. But but secondly, that it can be error prone. And if you automate it, you can you can stop yourself from making stupid mistakes. And my favorite um, automation on my Mac is a keyboard maestro macro that gets everything set up on my Mac for uh, my doing my live show. So it launches a whole bunch of apps and it shuts off a bunch of services. It it embeds a a, um, uh, a shortcut, actually a shortcut that says turn on do not disturb because that's like 17 button pushes now on the Mac to get it to go into do not disturb. Not yeah. for one hour, not till this evening. I just want to turn it on. Leave me alone. So it turns that on. It turns off Wi-Fi and it turns on, it, it runs uh, HomeKit automation that turns on all my lights. It shuts off the landline phone. And it's, it's like 28 different things that it does that are tedious, but also error prone. Like if I forget to turn on off Wi-Fi, I'm not going to have as good of a connection as if I have Wi-Fi turned off. So I really love that it's repeatable, it runs, and that one is not fragile. It seems to work every time. Oh, oh no, no, I'm lying. It is fragile. It has one fragile piece. I use Keyboard Maestro, not Moom anymore. I used to use Moom, but I had problems with that too. But I use Keyboard Maestro to change the size of Hindenburg to go into the right spot. And just sometimes that step just doesn't run. 
it's but puts all the windows where they're supposed to it's supposed to be and one or two of them like discord seems to be the one that doesn't go where it's supposed to and mm-hmm. i can go back into the macro and push it just that one step and it'll all go where it's supposed to so why didn't you do it the first time I, I can tell you exactly why i didn't do it the first time and the answer is those aren't real mac apps um, so you mentioned earlier, Hindenburg is Electron. not a Mac first app, um, and discord, uh, I have a fun bug in discord. Whenever I react to something, if I am the first person to react to a message in discord, so that's putting an emoji as a response. Um, but yeah, discord is unfortunately very buggy, uh, when it comes to, to doing things like that. I have successfully automated one or two things with it, but it is quite a, a tricky thing to just get working. But, uh. As long as the rest of it works, uh, I always, if I've got something that might be a little bit flaky, I always move that step right to the end um, uh, as far as I can. Um, and then, you know, uh, the other option is, of course, with Keyboard Maestro, which I love, is there is the option to, um, in the settings cog on each individual action, to say, um, like, if this doesn't work, then keep going. Like, do the rest of the macro anyway, please. Um, because that is something where if you've got something that, may or may not work, especially if you're experimenting like I do, um, then uh, it, it's a good way of uh, working around that problem. I, I would like to defend the honor of Keyboard Maestro. Uh, <laughs> I find it uh, more stable than Allison does. Occasionally I have things go wrong with it, um, but it's something like where the graphic changed or um, things like that. Uh, the other piece that causes problems for it sometimes for me is just anything that involves the 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 internet where the connection is slow. And I find that having extra long wait commands solves that problem. Like the, uh, the Grammarly thing where it goes to the website and pushes the button. I have a three second delay, which is more time than I, than I need. And you do look at the screen and say, ah, now my computer just stopped for three seconds. Right. But it's way faster than me hunting and pecking on the page. And I can be drinking tea while it's doing it. So um, you have to be patient with like outside sources to it, but, but in general, Allison, I find it actually works better than, than you do. I, I don't have very many okay, problems. I'm, as a challenge to you and yeah. to the audience, yeah. I want you to open up a, a PNG that has the alpha channel, uh, checked, I open it in preview and uncheck that, uh, that checkbox and get it to work 20 times in a row. Like across yeah. two days. So, so what I, I would do with that, do it. what I would do with the way I'd solve that problem is I would find the Apple script dictionary for preview and see if I could just script it. Well, I did one better than that. I uh, uh, run Image Magic from uh, Homebrew, yeah. and I just app. did a, a one line script, and I shoved that inside Keyboard Maestro, so I can hit a button and uh, yeah. and have it remove the alpha channel for me. Yeah, I mean that that's way better than UI scripting. Like trying to have it find a button and push it is is very it's creaky um, because yeah. things creaky. can go wrong. Yeah. Okay, creaky is a good yeah, word. Yeah, I think I, th- I think it's one of those things, right? Whenever you've got an automation that isn't quite working right, like obviously doing you know the basic steps of have I you know actually got a screenshot of the right image and so on is worth checking. But sometimes that is a signal that you know this is not necessarily the right way to automate this. Yeah. But with some applications, there is just no way to automate it because they don't come with an apple script dictionary there are no shortcuts actions there is no api there is nothing that you can do other than try and find this image on the page please and click at it yeah i'm also trying not to learn a lot about apple script just because i'm afraid it's going to be taken away from me so i'm i'm leaning away from spending my energy and time on that and doing more towards shell scripting 
I think that's probably a good idea in general, but I don't think Apple Script is going to be taken away from you. I, I think the problem with Apple Script, it only works on your Mac. And if you start to want to run stuff on your iPad and your iPhone, Apple Script doesn't help you. But I think the way I understand it, Apple Script is so embedded into the Mac OS that it would take time and effort to remove it. Oh, and they're not going to spend money to remove it. And also, they have right. customers that buy a lot of Macs that do workflows that still use Apple Script. Apple uses Apple Scripts to run their stuff. So I, I think you're not, it's not going to go away. And honestly, a lot of times it's the it's the quickest, fastest solution. Uh, you know, this week I um because my stream deck, I'm putting it on, I've been trying to better touch tool. I want to turn volume up and down in Apple Music, you know, without changing the volume on my Mac. And I just opened Apple Script. I went. I looked at the music dictionary. The command for volume up is real simple. I wrote like a three-line Apple Script that turns the volume up and down, and I attach it to buttons on my Stream Deck. And you know, maybe I could have found a scripting solution that uh, did that, but it's just so easy. You should have a little working knowledge of Apple Script. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's one of those things where often if you Google how to solve this thing on the Mac, there'll be a little bit of Apple script somewhere, which worst case scenario, like goes through like system events to like click at specific things. But yeah, well, I will absolutely options. go plagiarize a, an Apple script. Oh, I, yeah. I'm not above yeah, yeah. that uh, yeah. going oh, out no, and saying, it's... okay, somebody's already written it. I'm going to splat it in there and see if it does what I want it to do. But I'm not going to invest as much time as I am. And like, like I said, in learning Apple scripts. Yeah. I mean, I'm and, sorry, and in, in I... learning, learning shell scripts, I meant. Yeah, and what I would add to that is, Allison, in addition to being able to go pull a script off the internet, is I would, with your level of knowledge, you should just learn a basic understanding of how dictionaries work in Apple Script. I spent a and, bunch of time on that, David, and I just, life's too okay. short. I'm learning other things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. Well, speaking of other things, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, Allison, that you're using Image Magic um, through Brew to uh, fix the alpha channel problem with the image. Mm -hmm. um, there is um, a, a, another solution to this problem, which I'd like to recommend for, for you and for the audience, because uh, this is what Take Control uses um, to put like one pixel gray borders around all of the images in the books. Um, and th that's Retrobatch. So mm -hmm. Retrobatch is kind of like... It looks, the interface looks a little bit like Audio Hijack for folks who've seen that, where you've got square blocks going across, which you sort of link to each other. It's a little bit sort of keyboard maestro-y, shortcut-y. Um, but essentially, you have like the blocks which say, hey, like, read this, do this thing, do that thing, and ta-da, here's your new image. And there's a bunch of stuff that's like built into it as well for, you know, prompting for files, using photo library, clipboards, stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, it can, you know, write images to whatever with whatever file name you like. But uh, it's just something I thought I'd recommend for folks who are interested in that sort of thing, who are thinking, oh, gosh, this, image magic. This looks super neat. Uh, and it's yeah. also by the people who make Acorn. It's from Flying Meat. That is really yeah. cool. It's I'll definitely the, be yeah. wasting some time on this. It's not by the yeah, people. I, I thought you might. It's not by the people. It's by the person, Gus Mueller. Okay. I mean, it's another one of these single developer apps where... If you have a problem and you send an email, it probably gets fixed in the next beta, you know. Nice, nice. I love that. Well, we, we can't skip Text Expander because Text Expander is probably, uh, I, I probably should have put it earlier in the list of uh, maybe not above Mike Price writing things for me, but <laughs> way up there. I just love fixing my problems before they even start with Text Expander. 
one of my favorite things to do is while I'm listening to WWDC and they tell us the name of the next operating system is I write a text expander snippet for it because life is too short to remember whether the M is lower uppercase and Mac OS and the, you know, is there a space between Mac and OS and, and whether, you know, what it is. And I just love doing that. I do these templates before I even run into the problem. And, and it just makes me so happy. And especially when they um, came out with embedded snippets. So mm -hmm. I've got a snippet for my podcast URL, for example, with the AHREF and all that in it. And I can just have that embedded into another snippet and another snippet. And then if I decide to change something, it's really easy to do. And uh, I just... I, I just love using Text Expander every single day. I'm just happy it exists. It's it's a really useful tool for things like that, and particularly the idea of embedding one automation in another. Mm -hmm. um, it lends itself exceptionally well to text expansion, but it it works in in other cases as well. Um, and it, it's just a really um, useful. Uh, thing to have. I should note, Text Expander is sponsoring this episode of Automators, oh. but they're they're <laughs> not sponsoring right Alison to talk nicely uh, <laughs> about them. Uh, you know, she she's saying that without knowing that. Um, but yeah, it, it is you know it is a great application for all sorts of things, and you know it you know particularly I have a pro tip know, that idea. Of, I have a pro yeah. tip. So Ooh, one of the one ahead. of the fun things about Text Expander is you get an email once a month telling you how you did, uh, how much time you saved, and I'm sure you guys look at that right. You want to see sure. how much time you saved. And it's always a really great big number. And it's a lot of fun how many minutes you saved or hours. I figured out a way to get your stats up. Create a snippet with a lot of text in it. So like my show notes have, uh, I start with a template that's got spaces for everything that I'm going to need to do. And I came up with an automation that I'll talk about in a minute that, that I needed to test. And I tested it over and over and over again. And so it's splatting like 200 words onto a page, doing it again and again and again. And I could, I saved like 16 hours that month. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, when I was practicing law, I would write contracts with text expander snippets. So I had mm -hmm. long, exhaustive snippets, but I knew the the snippets in my head. So like I had three different versions of an attorney fee clause or a confidentiality clause. So I when I'd write a contract, I'd literally just sit there and write, you know, attorney fee clause one and then bloop, you know, and it would do that. And at the end of the year, I'd get these reports that I saved like six days of my year, like six <laughs> days of work. It's true. <laughs> Text it's expander, true. you know. I also figured out how to tell if you're on vacation. I got an email uh, from Text Expander telling me that I'd saved one minute. Yeah. <laughs> I was in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. Well. I mean, that that seems like a pretty good reason to not be doing as much work or automating as many things, you know. Exactly. That, exactly. I mean, you could have started writing about penguins instead. I, I hear there's some pretty fabulous penguins down there. I did write good. about penguins, as it turns out, but exactly. I didn't use any Text Expander snippets, apparently. Oh, I did see, write see, one for you Antarctica. You should have put penguin in there. Well, Antarctica is hard to spell. So I type yeah. A-N-T semicolon and it spits out Antarctica. So I did have one snippet in my letters. This episode of Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is a bit like buying tickets to your favorite artists, but only being allowed to watch the opening act. I don't know if you know this, but some streaming services have different content libraries for every country. So there are tons of shows available in other countries. And with a VPN, you can access those other libraries basically tweaks where Netflix or those other services think that you are right now. This means that I can watch Lord of the Rings on Turkish Netflix if I want to, with just one click by opening the app, choosing the country I want Netflix to think I'm in, and refreshing. There are so many reasons to use ExpressVPN. It's got blazing fast speeds, so you can stream in HD with zero buffering. 
It's compatible with all your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. Plus, they have servers in 94 different countries, so you can gain access to thousands of new shows. And it works with other streaming services like BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. You can stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting an access to their fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com automators. Don't forget to use the link at expressvpn.com slash automators to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Alison, tell us about the last automation that you made, because, you know, there's about a thousand pages of show notes that you've given us here. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to jump to a future point in that and, and derail things even more. Well, I, I think the the key with automation is when you when you realize that you start automating something before you do it repetitively. So when you first start mm-hmm. doing automation, you go, man, I've done that 3000 times. I bet there's an easier way. When you do the automation ahead of time, like you see it coming, this is going to be a pain in the butt. I don't want to do this by hand. I don't want to do it unreliably. Um, I use a service called Auphonic for my podcast. Auphonic is this fantastic service that allows you to upload your audio podcast in an uncompressed form and it uh, levels the audio, but it also raises it to the loudness standards, which is really important for podcasting. You don't want to be turning the volume up and down, up and down all the time. So I use Auphonic for that. It also compresses it into an MP3. It FTPs it over to Libsyn for me, so it's available. And um, and then it gives me a download link. And a long time ago, I wrote an automation that just said, when I click the download of that file, watch the downloads folder and move that over into the appropriate folder. So that, that was already done just to make sure I had a copy of the MP3 to in order to be, you know, double safe that I had a copy of it. But they recently added Whisper AI transcription service to it. And for no extra cost, you can check a little box. And now every time I create a podcast, the last thing it does is it goes through this, you know, hour, hour and a half of audio, and it uh, creates a transcription for me. And I'm not going to edit that transcription. Please don't ask me to, not going to do it. But I figured it might have some value and it's free. So why not? So I set up another automation before I ever even downloaded it once. I set up an automation that um, that drops the uh, it, it it when the file downloads into my downloads folder, it takes a look at it, it finds out the the form of the name, and it knows what folder to put it in into my onto my uh, desktop. But it also FTPs it up to my server to a known location. And then that becomes part of the embedded text expander snippet that I was practicing. The the reason I was doing that so often was now it's got everything about my show notes, including it already has a link to this file uh, for the transcription. So that if anybody clicks it, it's going to automatically go in uh, to the show notes. They'll be able to see it. They can go directly to the transcription. It it shows up on my blog post. It shows up in my um, in my feed, so people can get to it right from their podcast feed. And I, the reason it tickled me so much was that I did it before I ever did it once by hand. I never mm-hmm. did it by hand, and that that delighted me because I felt like I was ahead of the game. You were, and in more than one way, because I've caught something else that you said there. It uploads it to a known file location. So you know exactly the format of the URL based on something else. So you don't, you skip the whole step of automating. And now where is the magic URL that I need to find, put this in the show notes, because you actually just put it in the same place every time, right. which is a really simple but brilliant automation tip um, <laughs> that you, you snuck in there, hiding hiding behind the the genius of doing everything before you you had to do it manually once. 
Um, but that that's something else I feel like uh, people will appreciate, uh, you know, the idea of if you know where it is, you don't have to figure out where it is. All right, Allison, earlier you said that, uh, you know, you often wait until you do it a bunch of times and your brain starts pushing back about automating. But how do you generally decide when it's time to automate? The most important thing is if it's going to be a repetitive task, because life's too short to do the same thing over and over and over again. If it's something that that a machine can do, why not let it do it? Um, it's also really important to me that uh, certain functions are repeatable. And the best example of that was when I was talking about my my live show setup, the most important thing is that I make sure all of those steps get done, that I got to make sure that Google Drive isn't trying to sync while I'm in the middle of doing a podcast. So having that automated, um, that that is error prone, I'm, I'm likely to forget something. That seems really, really important and to keep it predictable. But on the other hand, I, I sometimes go through a lot of work to automate something just because it's annoying. And the, the best example of that was this, this problem with the alpha channel on that PNG is I spent an inordinate amount of time doing that. I mean, I, I, it was comically long, but it gave me a great blog post to describe how idiotic I was that I spent all of this time doing it. But it, it gets into a joy, right? It's fun to automate something. It's less fun to actually do the thing. So it's more fun to do the automation. And, and I mm-hmm. think that's, um, I think that's part of it. When you get to the point that it's joyful to do automation, then you're, you're really sucked into the automator's madness. And you really, it's like, it's um, progressive knowledge as you start to build it out and you learn little pieces it's very easy to bring the tool set to a different problem. And yeah, that, that, when it fails, that's when you learn a lot. Like the fact that I learned, hey, wait mm-hmm. a minute, what if I just went over and ran Image Magic from Homebrew and I embedded that inside of a, 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 a keyboard maestro macro? Now that's in my brain. Oh, that's another way to go. I could write a shell script in order to, and but still use it in Keyboard Maestro and then maybe attach it to my Stream Deck. You're, yeah. Each one of these things you do, every time you do it, you're adding to your knowledge base, just like you said. That's a, that's a really good point. And it really is remarkable right now on the Mac. I feel like we're entering this golden age where you've got Hazel, Keyboard Maestro, Shortcuts, Scripting. You've got all these different tools. And in the last year, they've all learned to talk to each other. I mean, on this episode alone, we've already talked about running a shortcut from Keyboard Maestro, but you can also run a Keyboard Maestro script from a shortcut. And, you know, all this stuff just works. Uh, Hazel now you can have when Hazel uh, identifies a file, run a shortcut to perform an action that shortcuts is good at on that file. Um, It's Mm -hmm. really, really fun for automation right now on the Mac. I think so too. I I just wish... Mac shortcuts were reliable and more feature rich. I mean, so many times I think of something like this is obviously going to exist in a gallery somewhere in in somebody's library and I can't find it. And maybe I'm not looking in the right places. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because you, you, you've said a few times on the show that shortcuts isn't working for you. I think you said you have two working shortcuts and I am... I wonder about that. I mean, like maybe you're trying to solve too big of problems with shortcuts. Like I find little shortcuts are some of the most handy. Like I have, uh, you know, I talk, like focus modes. I like to trigger focus modes. You mentioned earlier hitting a focus mode, like do not disturb, or I have one for podcasting. It's too much work on the Mac, you know, and uh, and 
if you trigger a shortcut, you can you can have a shortcut that has a one action that says start a focus mode, and then you can attach that to a Stream Deck button or a keyboard combination or run it out of a you know we can make it as part of a bigger script like you have when you start preparing. Um, uh, those little single actions and shortcuts they're absolutely reliable, and they're flexible too. Like uh, the other thing you had said earlier was, you know, I don't want the do not disturb to wait for an hour or wait for an event in just to start. Well, I can tell you, I have two sets. Like I have a stream deck panel that's all about focus modes. And if the button is in gray, um, like the button with a microphone on it is gray and I press that, it's going to turn on podcasting focus mode till this event ends. But if I press the microphone with the orange background, it's just going to turn on podcasting focus mode and it's not going to turn off. And all of mm-hmm. that is way faster than the way Apple wants you to do it. So I, I feel like maybe you should explore using some of the smaller actions as kind of an entry point. Well, like I said, little tiny things do work. Like yeah. do not mm-hmm. disturb. Yeah. Let me see. What what exactly does it says I'm, I say I'm looking for it. I've got, uh, just like 20 things I've tried to do, no, maybe four of which work. Um, where did do not disturb go? It was there a second ago. Can't find it, but it basically just says to turn on do. Oh, there it is. I'm, oh, I've got a folder called I'm really using these. It says turn do not disturb on until turned off. That's yeah. the whole shortcut. Yeah. Yes, that works. Yeah. Email myself. That one says, uh, if there's no input, continue. Here's the email address to go to. And, and I stole that one. I'm looking for ones mm-hmm. I can steal, really. That's what I want. I want a good place to go to find. Where do you go to find shortcuts that people have already written? Because the gallery doesn't have them. Well, uh, I, I could recommend there's a Max Sparky field guide uh, with a whole bunch of <laughs> uh, shortcuts that you could download. Um, that, that's, that's got some good ones in there. Um, and of course, uh, you know, I've, I've done, uh, take control of shortcuts, but I also, uh, provide shortcuts every week in, um, you know, iOS today's shortcuts corner, um, as solutions to, you know, the problems that people Are have been in gathered with. in a pile somewhere. When I need to automate, I type in what I'm looking for and it will come to me. That's what I need. That, that is kind of the problem. They're not. And there are some sites which sort of collect shortcuts together that people have submitted, um, but you don't really know about the person who submitted them. So there could be something there from Simon Stovering, who is the creator of JSON, uh, Scriptable, um, and, oh God, DataJar, Retoot, all of the great little um, nerdy apps like that. Um, but it could also be from some random person on Reddit who doesn't actually know how shortcuts work. Matthew Casanelli, maybe? Maybe that's I was right. just yeah, he's got a lot of yeah. uh, good uh, recommendations and and some things you can download. He's been a guest on the show, and he worked on the shortcuts team, and he worked for Apple. I trust anything he would post. I think he's a good one. Yeah, one thing um, I would say is sometimes shortcuts may not be the most intuitive for folks. Um, and um, <laughs> there, there was there was a really good example of this on the shortcuts subreddit the other day, where somebody was using a home automation, and they were using the stop and output action. And so they had a text action and they had stop and output. And uh, I don't think uh, they they realized because I asked, what are you actually trying to do? And they said, oh, I want a notification. Okay, well, stopping and just outputting text is not going to send you a notification. Like you'd need a notification action for that. You don't have a notification action because this is HomeKit um, and it's a HomeKit shortcut. So you can't do that there. You need to work around it with something else. 
Um, for example, you know, push cut or push over, push bullet, that sort of thing. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, for them, it was like, well, just give me the text, like output the text. Um, and there, you know, you need to have the mindset of, okay, but where, what, what is this and where is it going? Because at the end of the day, if you don't tell shortcuts exactly what to do with something and you've just got something at the end, it'll just kind of drop it on the floor and be like, hey, okay, I'm done. That's it. Um, but you know, once it gets dropped on the floor, uh, there's an invisible hazel that comes along and cleans it up and it doesn't exist anymore. And that's it. You find uh, shortcuts on the Mac as reliable and repeatable as they are on iOS? No. No. <laughs> um, it's It's got a lot better. Yeah. It's got a lot better, but yeah, it's just not as reliable. I think that's the problem. I have yet to come up with a single thing on the on iOS that I want to uh, automate. Actually, no, I'm lying. My email myself is what I use on iOS and that's it. But I, I, I just, I don't do a lot of work on other than just writing, for example, in Bear. So I don't mm-hmm. know what to automate over there. Well, sounds like you don't need well, it. But yeah. Uh... <laughs> I mean, all of those HomeKit things that you were talking about, including in uh, Keyboard Maestro and so on, you could chain those together as a series of actions in a shortcut. Um, and that could be useful. Um, there are also HomeKit shortcuts. Um, and, you know, I, I was just saying just now that HomeKit shortcuts don't have the ability to send a notification because, I mean, it runs on a HomePod. It doesn't know who owns the shortcut. But what it could do is, for example, um, at sunset every day, instead of just turn on lights, if you have colorful outdoor lights, for example, it could actually check what the date is. OK, so if it's Valentine's Day, it could turn lights pink and purple. Um, and if it's December, it could turn your lights red and green. If it's Halloween, purple and orange, things like that. Um, and you could actually get it to check, you know, okay, what month is it, right? Or what what day is it? I'm going to apply this scene. Otherwise, I'll just apply the default scene. Um, that's and that's cool. the sort of thing like where shortcuts, uh, particularly the HomeKit shortcuts there, is really nice. So for me, uh, I'm going to share one, which I think you'll like the idea of. This is a personal automation I have in shortcuts. Okay, there's actually two, uh, two parts to this. So first of all, I use the sleep focus and, and sleep mode with the health app on my iPhone. So when my wake up alarm um, is snoozed in the morning, um, what actually happens is it uses is a great little app called Signals for HomeKit and it flashes my bedside lights as brightly as it, they can go. <laughs> um, and it's a really sort of horrible greeny yellow color. It's not a good color. Um, it's, pu- it's my punishment for hitting the Does snooze button. Does it be the most irritating to you? Exactly. And it also slightly increases the volume of my HomePod. Not a lot, but it increases the volume of my HomePod. But then the other thing that I do is when my wake up alarm actually goes off. So when it starts going off in the morning, it runs a HomeKit scene and it plays music through the HomePods on my bedside tables um, as my alarm clock. So, you know, my my alarm's going off on my phone, but it, it starts playing music um, and it also starts running various automations like it opens the blind in my bedroom so that I've got some natural light coming in to help me wake up because my alarm's going off. I should probably be getting up um, and so on. And uh, it also um, sets another alarm one minute into the future because I wear an Apple Watch while I sleep. And of course, that vibrates on your wrist. And it doesn't give you an audible alarm. And despite blinds going up, lights flashing at me and so on. I've had days where I can still just kind of go back to sleep, uh, which is not good. So I found like setting another alarm, like woman into the future of like, no, seriously, wake up, Rose. Uh, it's pretty helpful. And so, uh, yeah, that's something I do. To, why do you need to do that on iOS? Well, I do that on my phone because this way it's linked to my alarm. So if I adjust my alarm okay. on my phone, okay. then 
it just it, it changes the time automatically. And also, if I'm not at home when my alarm goes off, it just stops. And okay. that's it. Because okay. it checks to start with to make sure that I'm actually at home. And if I'm not at home, then it doesn't do any of that because there's no point playing music at home and increasing the volume of the speakers at home if I'm not even there uh, to do that with. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Text Expander. When you work in a small team, every moment counts. You don't want to be wasting your time finding video conference details to send to a new client. You don't want to track down the same FAQs from the company website. You need help and you need automation. These are the kinds of things you want at your fingertips so you can get work done faster. And that's why you need Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can access what you type the most with just a few keystrokes, allowing you to work faster and eliminate repetition and letting you focus on what matters most to you. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations streamline your team's work. All you have to do is type a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest for you. You just build and collect your most commonly used phrases, messages, URLs, and more right within Text Expander, and then create your chosen abbreviation and they'll be with you wherever you type. You can even customize the snippets by having them automatically add in dates, fill in the blank fields, timestamps, and more. This will make sure that you still keep the personality in the communications you send. And Text Expander is available on any device you use across any app you use on Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. I use Text Expander for nearly everything. Not a day goes by that I don't seem to make a new snippet. Just the other day, I wrote Stream Deck, but I put no space. For some reason, I was thinking it was Camel Case. So, so I made a Text Expander snippet. So anytime I type Stream Deck with no space, it adds a space using a snippet. Just little human built-in typos can get fixed like that with Text Expander. But I can also fill in entire contracts with Text Expander language. It really boosts your productivity. If repetitive typing is getting you down, you need Text Expander. So check out Text Expander today at textexpander.com slash automators, and you can get 20% off your first year. That's textexpander.com slash automators to say goodbye to repetitive typing. And our thanks to Text Expander for their support of the Automators podcast. Allison, what are you doing with HomeKit? <laughs> well, <laughs> one of my biggest complaints right now is Things that work, and I don't know why or how they work. So uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, Hue Motion sensor. It's just a great sensor. It's really fast. It senses motion. It does things on uh, on my bidding when I walk into a room. And my favorite automations are the ones that I don't even have to tell it to run. That's that's the ideal situation. Like when I walk up to my house after a long walk with the dog, the front door just unlocks because the August lock knows that I'm there. That's the kind of automation I prefer the most is I don't even interact with it. So when I walk into my studio, my Hue motion sensor senses my motion and my two, uh, two of my lights behind me come on. It works great. I realized lately that's not quite enough light. I'd actually like my standing lamp, which is also a Hue lamp, uh, Hue bulbs in it. I would like it to come on too. So I said, okay, let me open up HomeKit. Let me go look at my scenes. Where, where, where are scenes? I've got a button down here for automation. I got a button for home. I got, got a discover button, but there's no scene button. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll, let me look across the top there. I think if I go into the home, there's a list of them and it's a terrible way to do it. It should be its own section, but I can't find its own section. If it's there, I'd love to know about it. But I flip through the ones and there is no scene for what's happening in my in my studio. It is not there. So I went in to talk to Steve about it because I said, you know, I don't understand. We've got these scenes. 
I know we've got these, these automation scenes, mm-hmm. whatever you're going to call them. Like we walk in our, our family room and the lights come on. Oh, the other thing is the lights come on super bright if it's during the day, but if it's, but if it's in the middle of the night, they just come on very, very dimly. And he tells me, he says, I know why you can't find them because they're not there. They were in the Hue app. We created those when we got the Hue app originally, and Hue no longer has them because we put those those devices into HomeKit. So the auto, I can't change these automations. These exist, and I have no access to it. I can't get to it. I can't fix it. I can't add and anything to it. You should be able to fix that in the Hue app because I had something similar recently um, that I was trying to figure out, like, where where is this, like, pink tone to my bedroom light coming from? And it was in the Hue app. Um, Do you think it's in uh, there, but, huh? uh, Yeah, it, it's hiding. Because um, I thought um, when you were saying this that you were going to be having the problem with the new uh, home layout, not the 16 point two that got yoinked and then put back in 16.3 but it's not necessarily there yet for everybody version like the new look to the home app which came out with ios 16 where if something isn't a favorite it's really hidden yeah oh is there a way to find them uh in in the hue app or in the home kit well you know if i go into hue automations it says did you want to create some automations so you're not looking for automations in the hue app there's like another thing in there called scenes and they should still exist. Um, they're just buried somewhere, and I have to go press a button on my Hue Hub to be able to reconnect it to this phone um, because I was jiggling things around the other day, so I'm not actually able to poke at that directly. But I definitely do have scenes even... in the Hue app. They're, they're, they're hiding somewhere, but I'm pretty, certain, I'm pretty certain they're there because they auto-populates a huge number of them if you've got anything colorful, uh, which yeah. slightly drove me up the wall until I was able to get rid of them. I can't find them in there either. <laughs> I'll have a look later and see if I can send you some follow-up. You raise a great problem, though. That multiple apps situation is nuts. You know, like, that's like I had a thing where something wasn't, the hardware had stopped working because I hadn't opened the manufacturer's app to to give it a firmware update. And you right. don't, you know, you would just assume. And sometimes the firmware updates show up in the home app and sometimes they don't. I do think that there is is definite room for improvement uh, not only with the user interface of the home app, but just the way that it talks to to secondary apps. And I think the problem is, you know, Apple doesn't control those third-party apps, you know, and mm. they have to try and make it work as best as they can. But some companies are going to put a bunch of time and effort into making good apps, and some are not, you know. But either way, Apple wants their stuff to be able to work with HomeKit. And, boy, I don't envy them. I think it's a tough job. Yeah, it is definitely one of those things where this is pretty much like the problem with um, HomeKit and and home automation in many ways. There are too many ways to solve the problem because you have the Hue app and the Hue Hub, and then you've also got a HomeKit. um, And then, you know, if you get a new Hue Hub when that one comes out with, um, you know, matter support, um, then you you may have yet another way to do stuff through, you know, Google Home or, you know, um, Echo, the Echo ecosystem and stuff. Um, and honestly, it, it's really confusing and annoying to try and troubleshoot that, uh, which is why I just get, went with a nuclear approach of I'm not using any hubs ever again. I'm putting everything in Home Assistant and Home Assistant is in charge of everything. Oh, see, I, I'm a... I used to be, I didn't like the idea of, of uh, hubs, but man, when you do a network change, 
A hub is a beautiful thing because everything oh, yeah. just not moves with one device. Oh, yeah, not having to individually connect things to Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, it's just, it, in my case, like, because Hue is using the Zigbee protocol, everything's just connected directly to the Zigbee stick in the Home Assistant hub. And then the Home Assistant gets a new IP address and okay. that's it. Done. Um, and that works pretty well for me. Hey, at the risk of turning this into tech support for Allison, you said there's a way to see scenes that aren't favorites. In, in, in uh, the in home, home app. In the home app. Yeah. So in general, in the home app, um, things Where? that are not favorites are hidden. And this is something that is a little bit uh, sucky. So the thing to do if you've got a scene that in the home app is hidden is to go to um, the room, which has something in that that scene effects. So okay. for example, if the scene is controlling a light in yes. a particular room, let's say the living room, mm-hmm. then you would open the living room. Um, and then you should see in that room, um, there should be like a, a horizontal row of mm-hmm. the, all of the scenes. And okay, so those aren't find favorites. That scene there. Within the room, they're not favorites. Those are all of the scenes in the room. Yeah. And then um, when you go into the edit scene, then there is an option to add to home view. And okay. if it's in the home view, then it's in the main home view. And then if it's not, then it, it's not. But it, it's just one of those things where that is not necessarily super obvious for folks uh, who are looking for it, um, especially, you know, uh, if you, like me, have lost your electric blanket. I couldn't find my electric blanket because it wasn't in the bedroom. Uh, like it was, it was still attached to my bed, but HomeKit had decided that it belonged in my office. Oh, yeah. Are things moving rooms for you right now? It happens every once in a while. I found that this this happened a lot when I was using Homebridge. And since I've stopped using Homebridge completely, yeah. it seems to have stopped. Um, and I don't You're know if it's Homebridge. something specific about Homebridge. Um, I now just use Home Assistant for everything or if it's something else. But just one of those things where, yeah, when stuff goes wrong in HomeKit, it seems to go really wrong and you don't necessarily know why. We have a lamp that just keeps wandering around the house. And I keep accusing Steve of moving it, but I I think it's moving by itself. It was in my room yesterday. He found it in his room the day before. We keep putting it back in the family room, but it keeps coming back. Now there's two of them. I have two of a bunch (laughs) of stuff. I don't understand that either. But the good news is I I just checked in my uh, my room and the scene is definitely not there. And I can't find scenes in, in Hue either, so... Who knows? Well, I will uh, connect my my Hue Hub back to uh, the Hue app on my phone um, and uh, see if I can find that and send you some follow-up after the show. So what was my favorite automation tool? Other people. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rosemary. <laughs> well, it tickles this is you. one of It tickles things. your brain, doesn't it? You just can't let yeah, You got to know. That, that's one of the things about this podcast. You know, everybody is stealing from everybody else all the time. And that is it, the best automation trick. You know, the best automation isn't one that you necessarily write. It's the one that works. And if you manage to steal it, then guess what? You automated saving time as well, which is even better. Plagiarism is encouraged. Yes. Yes, definitely. People can find you over at podfeet.com with all of your various podcasts and blogs. Uh, Anywhere else people should go to look for you? No, that's probably the best place to go. If you want to find me on the socials, I'm at Podfeet. Uh, nowhere near anything owned by Meta, but I'm real active on um, Mastodon now and not so active on Twitter anymore. Yeah, I get it. Uh, we are the Automators Podcast. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. You can find the uh, forums and the website for the page at talk.automators.fm. And thank you to our sponsors, Issue, ExpressVPN, and Text Expander. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, folks.